listening to Snyder & Associates podcast series, a civil engineering planning and design firm focused on thinking beyond engineering to improve the quality of life within the communities we serve. The hosts of this episode are Mark Parrington, Tony Bays, and Justin Jackson. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us today. It's Mark Parrington, Senior Traffic Engineer with Snyder & Associates. Today, I've got a couple other folks from our traffic group, Tony Bays, Senior Engineer, and Justin Jackson, Traffic Engineer. We're going to try to touch on some elements as it relates to intersections and how we deal with safety in relation to those intersections. I thought I'd kind of open up the conversation, and Tony, you want to just kind of comment on some different intersection treatments type, how we approach that as we look at where we're working, what the issues might be, and what we think will help treat things. The key factors in looking at an intersection treatment is considering the main elements being geometry and traffic control and how those work together to optimize operations and safety at the intersection. We need to understand the traffic demands for that intersection existing and probably future demands as well as the safety history, what's the crash history at that intersection. Then based on that, along with other factors such as what kind of cost are we looking at, what are potential impacts, what's the surrounding area like, from that we can kind of choose some intersection ideas or concepts to explore to improve safety and operations. Those might be a traditional intersection with stop control or traffic signal control, it could be a roundabout. It could be a more innovative intersection like a U-turn intersection, such as an R-cut or an MUT. So there's a lot to consider. It really comes down to looking at the basics of traffic and safety, speeds, volumes, all those important things. Justin, you have some thoughts to add to that? Not only looking at historical data that is easily accessible these days, but also looking at forecasted predictive data that we have, either uh, forecasted traffic volumes or predictive crash modification factors that go into certain types of traffic control at intersections and utilizing all those things to get an overall view of all different types of treatments, controls, and types. In the past, we look at crash history as we could get it versus what we have at our fingertips now we can get to so quickly and really maybe more this predictive type crash relationship to designs we might consider. Traditionally, it, we've been kind of just looking at history of crashes and comparing that to like, some sort of baseline, like what's the statewide average of crashes for that type of intersection or that volume of intersection. By using predictive methods, we can get an understanding of what would the normal crash rate be for this type of intersection and then what would be the crash rate with the proposed improvements to that intersection that way we get a little bit more accurate understanding of what's the benefit of that improvement and i also think with the collection of all the recent data within the five years of these newer types of intersection controls you're able to put these models together before you can really compare apples to apples now you're able to compare apples to oranges and as Tony alluded to, in these models that are put together, the regression will come back to a mean, even though there may be different characteristics of each intersection that you may not have been able to consider before in your modeling. Could go into just a little bit more about how safety plays into decisions. You could just give an example of a certain kind of corridor and why you might consider something like traffic signals or, as you mentioned, downstream U-turn movements, roundabouts. 
safety is a big part of why we do what we do. That needs to be a major consideration in looking at intersection and corridor improvements. Depending upon the severity of the issue, the solution might have to be a bit unusual compared to what's normally done, which might include U-turn type intersections, but it might be some typical things like pedestrians and bike access and crossings along the corridor that need to be addressed, which might influence intersection lane configurations and traffic control and how we treat specific intersections along the corridor. Anything to add, Justin? Safety is the number one factor when I'm looking at a project and there's other people within the team that are looking at other factors together in accordance with the scope of the project. We may be able to provide the safest intersection treatment with also staying within the confines of some restraints that get neglected when you're only just looking at strictly safety. You need to consider all the factors within making a decision in a project. So. In many cases, in the areas we work, we're dealing with anything from a very urban situation in a downtown, densely developed area out to a very rural area. Could either of you comment on some of the ways in which safety really differs as you're looking at intersections under those types of settings? I think to me, the biggest difference really in looking at a rural area is you're generally dealing with a lot higher speeds. The result is there tends to be higher severity crashes. That's an important consideration that may affect the need for turn lanes to get turning traffic out of the way of through traffic. It might require, if it is a signalized intersection, make sure our signal poles and obstructions are outside of the clear zone so vehicles are less likely to hit obstacles if they run off the road. And certainly there's just a driver perception and what they should be experiencing, or perhaps even the size of the community population base they live in. I mean, do you guys have some thoughts as it relates to those type of issues with what we'll call rural and urban? I think that's a good point is in rural areas, there's maybe less expectation that there might be conflict. So we need to kind of consider that in driver's perception and reaction time to opposing traffic or, or side street traffic. I would agree with your statement. We certainly have an expectation level, maybe just a driver patience level of if they're in an urban area versus what might be a less dense populated area where what they're willing to wait through or what they are willing to drive through and going through traffic control that we would add to an intersection on safety or even geometrically changing some things that is posing a safety problem. Again, there can be very different expectations between rural and urban areas as it relates to that type of thing. How about when they come to us with an idea of modifying an intersection as it relates to a new land use on one side of the road or the thought that maybe more traffic control is needed just more from a delay basis? How do you guys approach thinking about it from the standpoint of, well, what about safety? Maybe that wasn't even asked of you initially. Yeah, I think it's important to bring that up, even if it's not something that we've been asked to look at. It certainly could influence what goes into the design or the study or some of the key factors that are being considered. Even if our scope doesn't include it or a client doesn't want to include it, I think it's always a good idea, if possible, to take a look at crash history and see if there's any trends or unique things that might influence the need for something special or some other consideration to a certain type of crash that needs to be addressed. How about with new development, Justin? 
New development is always a tough one, too, because typically it's driven by a private entity, and their main goal is to get the development up and going to make money, and they don't really want to spend a whole lot of money on the public improvements that are needed based on the private development. I think it goes back to maybe looking at serving the community as a whole, make safety a highlighted item for this private development within the public right-of-way that's adjacent to it, because within their own development, they're always looking at on-site of having safe features of keeping the people within their property safe, but then it kind of gets excluded once they cross that public right-of-way line, which it's unfortunate, but if we can maybe keep that dialogue going with that private development that, hey, let's extend your providing a level of safety outside of your, your property line. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think at the end of the day, it's all the public and taxpayers driving around out there, whether they're going into a site, whether they're just driving down the road, going by a site, it's still an impact and a reality on all of them. It's something important that we consider. Do you have any specific examples or thoughts as you consider the mix of traffic at an intersection of all kinds and all modes, how that can impact what you're considering when you're choosing a type or traffic control? Yeah, it definitely gives it a context for intersection and a feel for your typical users. And maybe if there was an upgrade to the intersection, you may attract different types of users. Consider the most vulnerable users first and what we can do to that intersection to take that vulnerability out of those users. The type of traffic control we had at an intersection kind of changes the driver and vehicle characteristics, stop signs versus signals, that type of thing. Maybe comment on that a little bit. The volume of how much pedestrian or bike traffic we expect is important, but oftentimes we need to accommodate even if there's only a few a day for a trail crossing or a sidewalk crossing or bike lane. Part of it is we need to make sure we have a safe facility even if it's only a few users for all modes of traffic. But we also need to consider, for example, if we have a signalized intersection, our timings at that intersection or is there potentially a need for a pedestrian refuge area in the median so we can kind of split up the crossing, make it hopefully a little bit more safe for peds and bikes to get across the roadway? Roundabouts are definitely more prevalent throughout the Midwest now, and we're really seeing and learning the benefits of their characteristics and how they perform over time. When you look at quarter speeds and volumes, what are some things you consider in relationship to those when designing a roundabout or high speeds, high volumes? It might be more than just kind of what some people think of with a simple single lane neighborhood roundabout. Sure. You know, we still need to get speeds down to a pretty low level as they enter the roundabout. Generally, if you have a high speed quarter, say 45 miles per hour or higher, the idea is to slow them down before you get to the roundabout so that they have lower entering speeds. We do that normally by either having some reverse curvature on those major approaches to gradually slow traffic down as they approach the roundabout, or the trend lately has been just to provide longer splitter islands approaching the roundabout, which could be up to 500 feet long. They get an understanding that there's a need to slow down because in the feeling with those curbs along both sides of the roadway that something's changing and I need to slow down to get through this intersection. Roundabout's not always perfect for every situation. It isn't a one-size-fits-all. Things you might consider in relation to safety that might not be a roundabout or maybe a different kind of treatment is more what's needed. 
Yeah, I mean, if you can fit a roundabout, that's probably one of the safest options there is, but there are obviously other factors to consider as initial costs with the roundabout are typically a lot higher than other types of intersections. But if you do a life cycle cost analysis, we might find that the overall cost, when you consider crash history, may be very beneficial with the roundabout. There's other things for intersections that are not roundabouts that can be done, certainly to improve safety. There still are people that have concerns, haven't driven through a lot of roundabouts, and they just think it's a big spaghetti bowl mix of who knows what's going on kind of thing. Pedestrian safety seems to be a concern a lot of times with roundabouts, and I think the issue there is really the difference of security versus safety. At a signalized intersection, the pedestrian has a sense of security because they have a signal that says it's okay to walk, but they still may not have a higher level of safety because there are conflicting vehicles that may be turning left or turning right, crossing their crosswalk at the same time that they have the walk signal. Those vehicles are supposed to yield to the pedestrians, but they may not always do so. So yeah, I guess it's tough to get the public to understand that the safety aspects may not exactly be what they perceive as the safety issues or concerns at a particular intersection. Justin, kind of taking it the other direction with traffic signals, do you have some thoughts with public perception of those and then the reality of is that what they need or if you're going to do it, what type of things you may need to do with the signal to make sure it's as safe as possible? Yeah, there's a weird phenomenon of a traffic signal. It's either a cure-all if you're on the side of the intersection where it's needed to make your movement easier on you, or it's the opposite of that if you're on the main line and now you have to stop for this other person. kind of comes with a status symbol of a lot of towns or areas within a city that, okay, we're really prosperous and developing because we have enough traffic that now we need a signal. And a signal is not the cure-all. Maybe we should look at all these other alternatives to different intersection treatments or types. As we go into traffic signals, and there are so many things that go into a signal beyond just, oh, put one up. Justin, you have some thoughts on that? Some of the really important things we have to consider when we're looking at a traffic signal at an intersection? Yeah, installing a signalizing the intersection designates the right away within that intersection and helps the drivers make better choices on when they can make a particular movement. With that, some of the things to consider on signalizing the intersection would be the vehicle speed, the amount of traffic on each approach, determining the correct amount of clearance times of the yellow clearance and red clearance to an intersection to get all the vehicles out of the intersection before switching the right-of-way to a different approach. I think determining the adequate amount of green time for each approach so that there's no frustration felt on the drivers that they endued excessive delay. I think the frustration comes with not obeying the signal, either in trying to press through a yellow light or go through a red light. Tony, any thoughts to add to that, kind of some divine features as well? 
Yeah, I think one thing that really needs to be considered is the left turn phasing. If we've got left turn lanes, are we looking at protected only left turn phasing due to speeds, crash history, volumes, how many lanes we're crossing, that sort of thing? Or do we feel that protected permissive or permissive only left turn phasing would provide an adequate level of safety while potentially improving the capacity at that intersection? There's a lot of design details that we get into as we prepare a set of signal plans, specifics of where do we locate poles so they're out of the clear zone, push buttons need to be at a certain location so they're accessible and within a reasonable distance from the roadway. We need to consider visibility of signal heads so that driver's got a clear view of what that signal indication is and just lots of those kind of things all need to be considered in the design. And I think our team, we have dealt with so many different kinds of signal designs in so many conditions. A signal that may be out of what we consider very rural high speed intersection with hardly anything right adjacent to it, clear to the densified location of a downtown setting where we hardly have room to put poles up. But yet in both conditions, we have a lot going on in the background, wide open skies or trees or things getting in the way to buildings and other lighting and things that can be really distractions to the driver and just paying attention to the red, yellow, green and what's going on. So, yeah, I think at times there can be a misconception of, oh, we just put these lights up, red or green, and there's really a lot of little things that go into it. And I think Justin alluded to it quite a bit. What sets us apart is our ability to actually work in a signal cabinet and control how a signal works. Getting it designed and getting it constructed and put in the ground out at the intersection is one thing. Actually having it operate and move traffic effectively and efficiently, which will ultimately lead to how safe it operates, is something that we've done a lot of. It's really kind of the second half of putting a signal in. First half is getting it designed and somebody building it. Second half is making sure that it works right and properly. We try to mitigate any crash potential as best we can in what we're doing. Thank you for those thoughts, guys. I think one of the things that's important when we look at intersections, the fundamental thing in intersection, we've got two roads that meet out there. So bottom line, we've got potential conflict between traffic flowing in a couple different directions. The key is that at times it can't just be about, well, how many crashes are there in an intersection? Where's our biggest stack of crashes? Because it could relate to the type of crash you're getting. Are they severe? Are people getting hurt, injured? or at worst fatalities versus where there's not a lot of crashes or maybe it's just some fender bender type plastic thing occurring out there in the road. One of the things we try to do is take the right sized approach to what is the safety problem versus what is the proper solution. Tony, do you have some thoughts on that and maybe kind of stepwise how you tend to look at things? The solution needs to address the problem, so we certainly have to understand what the problem is before we can identify the best solution for an intersection. That involves looking at not just how many crashes, but what types of crashes, what type of severity we're having, and that may influence what type of solution we need to provide. Not every intersection necessarily needs to be a roundabout, but that could be a solution where you've got a lot of crash history because obviously we know roundabouts provide significant reduction in crashes and even more significant reductions in injury crashes. The step-by-step approach is, let's look at the crash history, let's look at the volumes, let's look at details. Are a lot of crashes occurring at night? If so, is lighting an issue? Are there a lot of right-angle crashes? If so, maybe a traffic signal is the best solution. 
And then from that, you can kind of refine if the traditional intersection makes sense, what kind of details such as turn lanes are needed to get the turning traffic out of the way of through traffic to reduce the potential for rear end crashes. Once we were able to identify specific causes of those crashes, we're able to look into treatments and then with those treatments also use a crash prediction module and safety performance functions of those treatments to get an idea of the potential reduction in those specific crashes and then also the potential reduction in overall crashes at the intersection. I think combining those two things of looking at the crash data history and also the predictive method is a very useful tool to come up with intersection treatment and types. And I think that gets us back to that right side solution that we always try to aim for here. Knowing that the budgets for public agencies are tight as it is, and they can't fix everything everywhere right away. And so helping them with what's the right size solution to fix what appears to be a certain safety problem at an intersection, perhaps the dollars available for safety solutions for a public works agency might be able to spread over four or five intersections in a summer with some minor improvements or right-sized improvements versus a perhaps over-designed solution that might consume all of their budget for one year just for one fix. And the incremental improvement in safety performance or mitigation may be minor. I think that is what is important about what both of you alluded to, how we dig down into the crashes. Is it about left turn crashes? Is it about a speed related crash? Does it seem to be crashes where somehow drivers are confused about where they're supposed to be going, what they're supposed to do? Those little particulars are very important as we examine and understand what is the right side solution. I want to thank Tony and Justin for talking about intersection safety here today. And there's a lot of elements that roll into it. At the end of the day, though, safety is such an important element of what we consider and has to be. We very much subscribe to the Vision Zero safety goals, which is why can't we get rid of all fatalities and all injuries and do our best to mitigate that. And we hope through the processes and the approaches we take, we do our best to help agencies deliver and improve roadway network that will do just that, do all we can to mitigate crashes and make things as safe as possible for the traveling public. So thank you. Thank you for listening to Snyder & Associates podcast series a civil engineering planning and design firm focused on thinking beyond engineering to improve quality of life within the communities we serve. Find related content to this episode on snyder-associates.com.